two points I want to get across here. The first is that the beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper names. It's not a caravan. And the second is to understand that civilization is basically about the deferral of gratification. Can you defer your desire for hitting people and instead try to reason with them? Can you defer your desire to have unprotected wanton sex and instead wait until you're in a stable pair-bonded marriage? This is civilization. Can you respect other people's property rights because you understand that if you violate theirs, they will end up violating yours? Civilization is the deferral of gratification and a late-stage democracy is fundamentally characterized by an inability to defer gratification. The gratification in this case being able to see that this so-called caravan, which is actually an invasion of mostly young males who have already signaled their desire to break American laws by coming across the border and pillaging from the helpless American taxpayer rather than solving problems in their own countries, that letting these people into America is going to be disastrous. And so hardening your heart, stealing your resolve, and turning people back for the sake of saving the civilization that countless millions of people fought and bled and died to hand to you is the basis of civilization. And if the West can't understand that, the West will be a very large footnote in history, but nonetheless a footnote. So let's talk about this caravan, as it is called. What is it? Well, it's a horde of about 7,000, mostly, young fighting-age men who have the clear criminal intent to enter the U.S. illegally. Judicial Watch has been working on this, and sources will be below, and I quote from Judicial Watch. Besides gang members and mobs of angry young men, the Central American caravan making its way into the United States also consists of Africans, Bangladeshis, Sri Lankans, and Indians. Judicial Watch is covering the crisis from the Guatemalan-Honduran border this week and observed that the popular mainstream media narrative of desperate migrants, many of them women and children, seeking a better life is hardly accurate. Guatemalan intelligence officials confirmed that the caravan that originated in the northern Honduran city of San Pedro Sula includes a multitude of special interest aliens, SIA, from the countries listed above as well as other criminal elements and gang members. What does that mean, special interest aliens? According to the Department of Homeland Security official definition, special interest aliens are individuals from 35 countries that, quote, have shown a tendency to promote, produce, or protect terrorist organizations. Countries from the Middle East or those in Africa and Asia with a presence of terrorist networks. Now, for those of you who've seen my interviews here on this very channel, ISIS and other radical Islamist groups have infiltrated South and Central America, and of course, they would love to ride shotgun on this horde of people attempting to cross the border illegally into the United States. Judicial Watch continues. There are also large groups of men, some with criminal histories, aggressively demanding that the U.S. take them in. During a visit to the Guatemalan town, At Chikumula, about 35 miles from the Honduran border, Judicial Watch encountered a rowdy group of about 600 men, ages 17 to about 40, marching north on a narrow two-lane highway. Among them was a 40-year-old Honduran man who previously lived in the United States for decades and got deported. His English was quite good, and he said his kids and girlfriend live in the U.S. Another man in his 30s contradicted media reports that caravan participants are fleeing violence and fear for their life. Quote, We're not scared! 
he said, waving his index finger as others around him nodded in agreement. We're going to the United States to get jobs. Others chanted, vamos para a la Trump. We're coming, Trump. As they clenched their fists in the air, we need money and food, said a 29-year-old man who made the trek with his 21-year-old brother. So that's what you're looking at. You don't get to flee to other countries because you want a job. That is not part of any human rights demand or requirement that I've ever heard of. And um, that is the reality. The fact that you're poor, the fact that your country is violent does not give you the right to seek asylum. Now, this caravan, it's hard to guess, uh, it's around 7,000 people, had advanced about 75 kilometers, 45 miles, since crossing the border from Guatemala. Still got about 1,000 miles to go, and for some of them much further to get to the end of the journey. And the first wave of migrants, about 4,000, according to Guatemalan government sources, there was a second less organized group of about 2,000. And come on, everyone, this is not that complicated to figure out. It's October. The midterms are in November. So you get the, it's called the October surprise. It is the curveball that is thrown into the American political process right before a presidential election, right before midterms. If you remember in 2016, it was the Billy Bush Access Hollywood tape, and uh, it just sort of goes back on and on. The Judge Kavanaugh thing uh, backfired, and it seems quite possible that this is going to backfire because, you see, what we're supposed to believe, what we're supposed to swallow, what we're supposed to accept, is that somehow, magically, mysteriously, thousands of Central Americans just decided to march north to America right before the midterms. Hmm, isn't that quite astounding? What an odd coincidence. Just when immigration and the wall and the border is the number one issue, particularly for Republicans, although on the other side, for Democrats, it is a great way of replace the population you can't convince with reason and evidence, just replace them with people who are going to vote for you because you hand out free goodies. Well, of course, this is not accidental. This is not a spontaneous gathering any more than the well-paid protesters outside conservative events are a spontaneous expression of public outrage. No, this is just a manufactured mess that is designed to back Trump into a corner to make the Republicans look bad, to provide photo opportunities of Americans' uh, men in uniform pushing back migrants who just want a better life and live the American dream. It's not a caravan. It's not a caravan. Uh, I remember... I remember. Well, I'm old enough to remember when gay meant happy. Music was complex and caravans were fun. This is not the way that it is. So, here are the routes. And uh, you can see this on Google Maps if you're just listening. This might be worth watching. So, from where they're starting to get up to Southern California, yeah, we're talking 2,431 miles. 33 days straight walking. That's that's a lot. Come on. You've got to be kidding me, right? The other one, uh, the shorter one, up to uh, south of Texas, is uh, 1,112 miles, 363 hours of walking. The other one is almost 800 hours of walking. So, you know, 800 hours of walking. If you can even walk eight hours a day, kind of tough if you've got... Women and kids around, little babies, little toddlers. It's 100 days of walking. (laughs) Even if you don't get interrupted by rain or illness or sore feet or broken footwear, 
lack of food, dehydration. Come on. This is what is supposed to be happening. And see, Central America is a tough place to get your immigrants from. Language skills necessary to be productive in the United States. In a lot of places, of course, you still need English. And Central American nations rank the lowest in the hemisphere for English. So what are they coming for? Jobs? Well, that's what they have to say, of course. But they get healthcare benefits. Remember when healthcare benefits weren't supposed to be going to illegal aliens under Obama's promises? Yeah, you can keep that. It's as like as uh, realistic as uh, Barack Obama turning to Elizabeth Warren, standing next to a teepee and saying, you didn't build that. They're going to get health, care, education, welfare benefits, roads you don't have to pay for, courtesy of the already overtaxed U.S. citizens. So let's do a comparison of this hike and let's look at uh, another hike. So this is the Appalachian Trail Maps, one of the longest hikes in uh, America. And it's 2,200 miles long. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's a long way to go. Typically, typically, it takes about five to seven months to complete. Now, these are people who have trained for it, who are fit, who are traveling light, who aren't traveling with kids. Five to seven months to complete that trail at a walking pace. Now, some of the real type A (laughs) types have done it in uh, under 50 days, but they're aiming to walk this far in 30 days. (laughs) Come on, the migrant is going to walk this far in under 30 days. Some of them are in flip-flops, for heaven's (laughs) sakes. Come on. Ever try running in flip-flops? So... I mean, it's it's nonsense, right? So, of course, you can see the videos online. They're being loaded into trucks. They're on flatbeds, buses, you name it. So there's a comparison. 2,200 miles long, five to seven months for experienced, fit hikers traveling light, boogieing as fast as they can. Takes them that long. This is not uh, a walkathon, people. This is a um, a well-planned, well-funded and well-resourced invasion. That's just the beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper names. There are these mayors in these lefty socialist towns, giving them health care supplies, giving them porta potties giving them water, aiding and abetting this um, army. Madness. I mean, let's just look at the logistics, right? So to go from Honduras to the Texas border is 2,300 miles. So that's about the same as walking from New York City to El Paso, Texas. So imagine you're a semi-sane human being and you say to your family, hey, we're going to go on a little bit of a walking tour, honey and kids. We're going to walk from New York City to El Paso, Texas. It's going uh, to be great. How much packing would you need? How much planning? How much How many resources would you need? I mean, it's crazy. The average adult walks at about three to four miles per hour. So for them to do this Honduras to the Texas border, it could be longer for some. So if you're able to walk solid for eight hours a day, every single day takes about 72 days. If you add in kids, you know, they get tired. You've got to carry them on your back. They need rest and so on. Could be 100 or more days of straight walking, assuming you can keep this three to four miles an hour up and running. Come on, eight hours a day for 72 days straight. When I was younger and a waiter, 
you get tired. It's a lot of work. It's hot out there and it's dry. You get blisters. You get sore. You get sick sometimes. 85 to 90 degrees in the hot sun. It's going to rain sometimes. That going to slow you down at all? Of course it is. So what do you need? Just imagine all that you need to traverse 2,300 miles. Lots of changes of clothing. You need a huge amount of food because you're burning up a lot of calories doing this water walking. You need a lot of water. You need your rain gear. You need your sunscreen. You need your sleeping bags, toilet paper, toothbrushes, toothpaste, tampons. You name it. And this is for 3,000 people, 5,000 people, 7,000 people. Come on. This is not a spontaneous trek. And the New York Times reported that the march began in San Pedro Sula on October 12th. Nine days later, they were in Tapachula, Mexico. You know, 450 miles in nine days? That's really quite something when you think about it. And you can look at the videos of these marchers. They're pretty well fed. A lot of them are smiling. They got their thumbs up, got clean clothes, and have a look at their shoes. Pretty clean shoes, not seemingly that worn out. Some of them are wearing flip-flops. I mean, you can't take 19 paces on the beach sometimes without your flip-flops falling apart. You got um, people on, on flatbed trucks, people jumping into buses, vans, you name it. And where, where's the media? Of course, where's the media? Other than Judicial Watch, a couple of things. Where's the mainstream media? Stunningly incurious about how this is all being paid for, how these army on the march is being supplied. Food, water, bathroom facilities, first aid, you name it. It's all expensive. When it comes to how much things cost, the New York Times went kind of nuts. If you remember, UN Ambassador Nikki Haley had some new drapes, they thought. It turned out they were installed before she got there. But they went mad about how much they cost, how they were funded. They can't, can't seem to rouse one iota of curiosity about how this whole caravan is being funded. Now, this struck me. This is from the New York Times. We want to get to the United States, said Maria Irias Rodriguez, 17, a migrant from Tecuchicampalpa, Max Honduras, who was traveling with her eight-month-old daughter, two-year-old son, and husband. See, she just says she's a husband, so he's a husband, right? We want to get to the United States, she says. If they stop us now, we'll just come back a second time. So what struck me about that is this young girl, Maria, she's 17. She's got a two-year-old son. Notably, they don't point out how old her husband is. She's got a two-year-old son, which meant she was pregnant at 15, probably impregnated at 14. (sighs) Impregnated at 14. They may not be sending their best. It's just possible. So what do they have to do? They have to walk. So just to get from San Pedro Sula to... Tapachula, they had to walk an average of 12.5 hours every day for nine days. Come on. Nobody believes that. If you have the organization to move this many people this far with this much much equipment, this much food, water, health care, porta potties, you name it, then they're not refugees clinging to apple barrels trying to get out of an elf village. Come on. There's a lot of dangers here. I mean, not just talking about the crime, not just talking about the breakdown of the rule of law. But I remember when I traveled to 
Guatemala. I had to have all of my inoculations up to date. I had to have everything ready. They won't let you travel there. What's going on with these people's inoculations? Have they all been inoculated? Are they all healthy? Are they carrying any diseases? With the migrants as a whole, you've got drug-resistant tuberculosis, scabies, chickenpox, and hepatitis crossing the border with them. Chagas disease is the latest regional illness turning up in the United States. And also there's been a recent uptick in acute flaccid myelitis, which is a neurological illness somewhat like polio that affects mostly children. It's untreatable, often leads to permanent FDR-style paralysis. Now, polio, of course, mostly eradicated, but remains prevalent in Nigeria, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Also, courtesy of the joys of socialism, polio has returned to Venezuela. Just terrible, terrifying. Remember the smallpox, smallpox blankets, how terrible it was when the Europeans came to North America and the natives, the indigenous population, got infected with smallpox. Everyone, like there's this myth that it was all handed out as part of a bioweapon campaign. Nonsense, not true. No facts behind it. Just, you know, hey, make white people look bad. It's the new Olympics. But um, yeah, I remember how bad that was when Europeans brought diseases over to North America. <laughs> Boy, when you need their votes, it's amazing how quickly that story can change, right? Unvetted criminality. Part of the whole point of legal immigration is to make sure you don't take a bunch of psycho criminals. Rapists, you know, thieves, murderers, you name it. Now, this group has already signaled their desire to break U.S. laws. You can't get any more clear than that. Clear intent to break the law. They're going to get there. They're going to apply for asylum, which they can't legally do because asylum has to be applied for in the first country that you let, the first country, the first safe country you can get to. And since they're coming through Mexico, well, they can't legally apply for asylum in the U.S. as far as I understand it. So, yeah, they're going to break U.S. laws. It's a self-selecting group of people who openly want to not obey American laws. They're going to be welfare burdens, of course, inevitably, right? Think of this woman who was about pregnant at 14. There's going to be a drain on the educational system. You had kids, you paid your taxes, you wiped their butts, you made them sick, uh, you make them healthy, you got their inoculations for your kids. And next thing you know, they can't get a good education because resources get diverted to other languages and treating scabies. Healthcare consumption, of course, these people are going to have tooth problems, they're going to have health issues, they're going to have lots of problems. And the ER, the emergency rooms, cannot legally turn them away, and they're just going to consume the healthcare system. And of course, this is part of just having half a brain and looking down a simple tunnel of time to see the consequences of current decisions. In other words, having an IQ above 90, which is if this caravan gets through, another caravan will form. There are over 150 million people in the world who want to move to the States, and they're probably going to want to bring a bunch of family members, 300 million people. (laughs) A lot of people, you know. Well, you know, I was just in L.A., and Lord knows they could use a little more traffic, don't you think? So if you let this caravan through, the next caravan will form, and it will be much larger, much larger, and it's going to be harder to stop, if not downright impossible. Now, here's another danger as well. People watch the state, and they watch the law. Here are a few thousand people who, when massed together and acting collectively, can break the law, can overturn the legal system. Hmm. 
I wonder if Americans are going to look at that and say, you know, it's the law to pay your taxes too. A couple of thousand people can openly flaunt and break and defy the law with no negative consequences. In fact, with rewards. Well, what other laws are people going to collectively decide? Not so much for me. Thank you very much. So Trump, what's he been uh, tweeting about? Well, he's been tweeting about a lot, but uh, just read two here. So he says, sadly, it looks like Mexico's police and military are unable to stop the caravan heading to the southern border of the United States. Criminals and unknown Middle Easterners are mixed in. I have alerted Border Patrol and military that this is a national emergency. Must change laws. And he also tweeted, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador were not able to do the job of stopping people from leaving their country and coming illegally to the U.S. We will now begin cutting off or substantially reducing the massive foreign aid routinely given to them. Praise Zeus. It's about bloody time. So, of course... The idea that there are Middle Easterners embedded in false migrant claims. Well, Europe's been dealing with that for quite some time. And, of course, the left went mad and said, well, we had a look and we didn't see any. Because, you know, it's not like if you're from the Middle East, you'd want to pick people who look the most like Hispanics in order to get across the border. Uh, I didn't see anyone in (laughs) a Middle Eastern outfit. So what's he talking about with regards to Middle Easterners? Well, Guatemalan President Jimmy Morales reported on Thursday that his security forces had been able to capture almost 100 ISIS terrorists. The president claimed that his administration had captured, and I quote, close to 100 people completely linked to terrorist issues with ISIS, and that not only have we arrested them within our territory, but they have been deported to their countries of origin. So, it's an issue. It's an issue. So what is the plan? Look, I'll talk about why this is all happening, philosophically speaking, which is the real cause and a deep root for it and all. So the plan is, of course, they're going to pour to the border, try and get across the border, and what happens? Well, let's say that Trump does nothing or does a show of force or makes some complaints but doesn't fundamentally do anything. Hello, Jeff Sessions! Wakey, wakey. So the illegals then pour into the country. Now, as soon as they're across... The border, they apply for asylum, and what happens? Well, then the Republicans are going to lose the midterms, they're going to lose their base, and the American experiment is over. You understand that the Republicans' major issue, I mean, the major issue of the domestic population of the United States is immigration, is immigration. And their last hope was Trump. And if Trump can't control the borders, if Trump can't reduce or control both legal and illegal immigration. And Ann Coulter was right, and she wrote in Adios America that the supposed headcount of illegal immigrants in the United States have been stuck at 11 million forever. And it's recently been revised enormously upward. She puts it uh, in the tens of millions for sure, 20, 30 million or more. And there are uh, ideas that it's even higher. And to control this, the American population has turned to Trump. So if Trump doesn't do much, then everyone's going to give up on politics and there are going to be other solutions. I mean, when you give up on politics, um, you can see this throughout history. If the politicians don't solve the problems, people take the problems into their own hands. They simply will not be overrun. So if Trump does nothing or doesn't do much about it, the illegals pour into the country, then everyone gives up on a political solution. Now, let's say that Trump does something. 
He deploys the military, he uses non-lethal deterrence, sonic weapons and so on, and rises to naked force if necessary. Then what happens is, of course, the Democrats, the lefty media portray Trump as this cliched fascist monster, and you get these endless pictures, uh, pictures of women with children crying and screaming and, and all of this kind of stuff. And it hits the low IQ voter herd directly in the fields. The fascism of fields takes over, and everyone's like, I can't watch, it's too terrible, I can't see which is why you shouldn't try to march into another person's another country uh, without without permission but you know you won't blame they won't blame because only white people have agency right in the modern world everyone else is just reacting and in particular white males so it won't be wow you really shouldn't have got your kids and marched halfway across the world to try and cross a border when you had no legal permission to do so you know if if you're at the airport and you try running straight through security or running straight through customs without stopping, without talking to anyone, yeah, you're going to get tackled and you're going to have a problem. And the result, like the cause of that problem is you not stopping to obey the law to get into someone's country. So, I remember when I, yeah, I had a short visa. I really had to get out of, of Guatemala based upon my visa. Really had to get out. going to have a lot of problems otherwise. So, the causality for the problems won't ever be laid on the feet, literally, I guess, the feet of the people marching into a country without permission. It's going to be Trump's fault. That's the trap, right? That's the trap. So the, the, the fundamental question is, will U.S. forces, whatever they are going to be, whether it's the military or, or something else, will they use force to repel the invaders? Will they uphold the border? Will they uphold the territorial integrity of the country? Will they uphold the law to repel the invaders? Well, the other alternative, of course, and Trump is starting to make movements in this direction, is to say, well, we're going to cut off foreign aid to you if you don't stop these marchers, right? These, this caravan, right? It's another possibility, but that's tricky. That's tricky, right? So, yeah, once they hit the U.S. soil, they're going to claim asylum. And then what happens is they get ringed by waves of immigration lawyers and PR flacks. And, you know, it's like like dropping food coloring into a class of clear water, you know, easy to pour in, kind of tough to take out. Everyone's going to fight tooth and nail to say uh, to stay, and there's going to be a whole bunch of articles, sympathetic. I talked to this person, and she was crying because she so desperately wants to live the American dream, and she's terrified of being attacked if she's back home, <laughs> right? Again, this is... Um, so if they get across the border, uh, yeah, that's... Well, then it works, right? Then it, you have rewarded people who've broken the law with... Free stuff, free healthcare, free welfare, free money, free housing, free, you name it, free education. It's, it's one thing to not punish people for breaking the law. It's quite another thing to shower them, to shower them with tens of thousands of dollars of goodies for breaking the law. As I mentioned, it's illegal for these people to claim asylum, just like in Europe. Asylum has to be claimed at the first country you can get to, the, the, the bordering country, the neighboring country, the first safe harbor. That's where you've got to stay to claim your asylum, but this welfare shopping is, which is what's going on, right? Where, where am I going to get the most welfare benefits? Well, that's not illegal. Not legal. So if there are people in America, if there are leftists or Democrats in America who have something to do with this whole invasion, it might, in fact, backfire. I mean, I've, I've looked at a whole bunch of websites, as you can imagine, and I've read a lot of the comments. People are getting pretty impatient. And uh, people seem to be like, hey, if you got to use force, you got to use force. The alternative is what? 
open borders uh, for America, which can't pay its bills at the moment, to be drowned under more and more people who want welfare and free stuff. Now, the whole America's border, just like Europe's borders, is not secure because the, the great hole in the wall is sentimentality, right? So if you remember, and this is talked about in the documentary that's coming out called Hoaxed, which I hope you will check out, hoaxedmovie.com is how you're going to be able to access it. You can get the, um, the book about it right now. There was that boy who washed up on the Turkish beach, and the low IQ, highly sentimental, emotional voters, yeah, I guess that's code, all burst into tears and, oh, open the borders and so on, as opposed to, wow, what happened to that boy? Well, his father put him on an overloaded boat when he didn't have to. And you, you and I tried that. We, we're going to be charged with something heinous, in child endangerment, whatever, right? But uh, there's no agency, you see, on the part of the people getting onto the boats and the ch- overloaded boats in, in bad weather and trying to get across to get free stuff. There's no agency in the migrants, the invaders, no agency there. So the, the answer to the boy who drowned on the Turkish beach is not, we better prosecute the dad for endangering his family in that way. Wasn't the boy's fault? Father's in charge? Charge him. No, no, no. You see, you gotta, that's giving agency. You see, it's giving agency to people who aren't Europeans or who aren't whites uh, in that way, or at least European whites. So can't have that. I right? can't have agency. So the breach is the sentimentality. It's when people look at the pictures of men in uniform pushing back women with children and, oh, it's so, I can't, I can't, I can't take it. I can't handle it. I can't process the emotions. I can't deal with it. So let him in so I don't have to feel bad. Let him in so I don't have to feel anxious. Let him in so I don't have to feel troubled. An inability to handle suffering creates the most suffering of all. An inability to handle suffering at all creates the most suffering. It's like the people, ah, I don't want to go to the dentist, you know, they might drill, it might hurt, it might scrape. Okay, well... You get tooth decay, you get gum disease, and then you swallow all your bacteria and your heart explodes like some alien trying to burrow its way out of John Hurt's chest. If you can't handle a little suffering, you bring on bottomless suffering. Now, what are the tactics? What's going on here? There's a lot that's illuminating about this process with this caravan. It doesn't represent an increase in attempts to illegally enter the United States. So here's a quote. In September, U.S. Border Patrol agents apprehended more than 41,400 undocumented immigrants, up from 37,544 in August, according to numbers not yet released publicly, but obtained by NPC, uh, sorry, NBC News, NPC News. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a little bit of a slip there. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. So, yeah, we've got 7,000 people in in two groups might want to make their way across. And there's a lot of, wow, you know, the big column, a lot of people coming across at the same time. This is nothing. This is like one week's. No, that's like a couple of days worth of undocumented immigrants, of illegal aliens, just coming across. Those are the ones who were caught. So, no, it's, uh, it's tiny. But it's visible. It's tiny, but it's visible. 
you know, like one mosquito on your back, you don't really notice, but uh, a thousand mosquitoes, you probably do, because you're passing out, right? So, it, because it's concentrated, because it's visible, it's waking people up to how porous the border is. And this is not just happening in America. This is an issue in Canada. Of course, people coming up from America. Uh, this is an issue, of course, throughout Europe. It's being dealt with somewhat by the Italians uh, and, uh, of course, Poland and other places and so on. But because it's a concentrated line, people are like, holy crap, I can see it. I can see what's happening right now. It's not hidden by blurred images going under cameras in the middle of the night. It's visible. So it's not like this is a massive increase in people trying to get into America. You can just see it very vividly, which is why I think it's going to backfire. Now, this is sort of an interesting thing. So what I noticed, or what I thought of when I was thinking about this, was many years ago, I went, well, I, I spent Y2K, New Year's Eve in Morocco, and then I flew almost immediately for, to, for business to China. So I spent like a month in countries where I couldn't read the signs, signs at all. When I was in China, it was interesting how they crossed the road in Beijing. What would happen is, nobody would care about the lights or anything, but what would happen is people would gather together until there was enough that you'd do more damage to the car than the car could do to you because you were massed together. Then you'd cross the road. And that's kind of how it worked. And in the same way, if you're all together, it reduces the risk to each individual, not just in terms of being caught. It's pretty easy to catch. I mean, you can see them, right? But in terms of being preyed upon by coyotes, um, I guess of both kinds, the human and the animal kind, and uh, being being raped and being attacked and, and being dying of thirst in the desert and, and whatever it is, right? It reduces the risk to each individual for them to gather together in a human river and go across all at the same time. And it's becoming increasingly hazardous to cross the border. From, from 2006 to 2016, deaths per 10,000 border crossings increased 500%. So it's becoming increasingly risky. And, of course, it's very expensive, $10,000 U.S. sometimes or more to get across the border, no guarantees, and so on. And this is what Trump was talking about in, when he announced his, his presidential bid. 80% of Central American women and girls are raped crossing into the U.S. I assume that's five out of five, one out of five, whom doesn't tell the truth for whatever reason. So when the women and girls want to get across the border, they take birth control pills to avoid rape babies and so on. Now, if they're traveling in a big gang with, with family members or whatever, then maybe that is going to decline. So you understand that this makes it safer, which is why it's going to increase if it's allowed to succeed. It makes it safer to get across. So the goal of the caravan, in part, to cut out these middlemen, right? The cartels, the independent coyotes, and so on, and that is pretty important for them. Pretty, pretty important, as you can understand. Now, there is, of course, talk of a border wall. Trump is, you know, goaded by the endless gadfly of Ann Coulter's <laughs> tweets. Trump is uh, talking about a, a wall and trying to figure out how to fund it. Can he use the military and all that? So if the border wall goes up, there's this great fear that, you know, right? It's like Indiana Jones trying to get out of that collapsing dungeon. He's, you know, the door's coming down. You've got to go. You've got to go now. And this is the fundamental question, right? This is the fundamental question, which is it requires coercion to enforce 
a border. People want to come across the border. It requires coercion to repel. Now, when you've had decades of little to no pushback against illegal aliens coming into America, you've created a whole culture of crossing. You've created a whole political dependency on illegal aliens. So it requires coercion to enforce a border. And the longer you leave the longer you leave your border undefended or largely undefended, the harder it is to start defending it. So the coercion that's required to enforce a border, will it encourage open borders? This is a fundamental question. So whether there is going to be a border or not is in hot contention at the moment, right? So a lot of the left, a lot of the Democrats are, well, they used to claim that they were against illegal alien invasions. And there are clips of, of uh, uh, lots of Democrats, Barack Obama is notable, when he was still a uh, senator from Illinois, talking about how, you know, we got to respect the people who are coming here legally. We kind of pe- waves the people coming across the border. Well, that's what, just what they said, right? Now that they've gained more cultural power and s- some significant political power, and after eight years of Obama in president, as the president, they really are now openly advocating for open borders, sanctuary cities, uh, all the free stuff in the known universe for illegals. And that's partly to gain the votes of people who are here from that region of the world or who, sorry, who are in America in that, from that part of the world already. And, of course, lots of illegal stuff going on when it comes to voting. So if people see a caravan getting to the border and then they see armed men pushing that caravan back, I think that the role of the dice is are people going to be so repulsed and are they going to recoil so much from seeing force applied to the border that they're just going to say, I can't, ha- I can't take this emotional upset of seeing the law be enforced, so let's just get rid of the law. Plus, it also could draw law enforcement operatives away from what I imagine is going to be pretty significant voter fraud in the midterms. So, of course, if the first caravan gets across the border, the next caravans are going to start assembling and there's just going to be a massive flow. I mean, this is so predictable it's ridiculous and anyone who doesn't see it i mean i don't even know what to say i don't even know what to tell you because you probably haven't figured out how to turn your computer on without using your forehead a taser and a cattle prod so i mean this is back to an atlas shrugged argument that everybody perceives that the government just has a bunch of money that it's benevolent that it cares for you that it wants you to be healthy educated well and all that uh, and uh, the government is unwilling to use open force in pursuit of this stuff because people don't like to see that open force being used. It makes them uncomfortable. It reminds them that the government is what? Well, as everyone from George Washington to Barack Obama himself said, the government is force, the government is violence, the government is coercion. And specifically, it is the initiation of force. And everybody who wants to maintain this benevolent view of the government as a friendly neighborhood social institution doesn't like it when the gloves come off and the guns come out, but that's what the government is. The government is force, but people don't like to see it <laughs> a lot of times. A lot of people who understand it, a lot of people don't want to see it. So what can happen? What can happen? Well, the response can be that, of course, Trump can use this emergency, wake up people, have them panic with this incipient or imminent horde of, of countless people flowing in from Central and North America, south of the border. So aiming to pump up the midterms, get more support in Congress, right? If he can get 60 votes into the Senate to move ahead with his agenda, then that's a strong case to be made because one of the things in his agenda, I made this prediction long, long ago. I think that the wall will be built. 
but uh, he's going to need to get ahead with his agenda. And it sort of comes down to a country is supported and maintained by willpower. That's all it is. So if Americans don't go out and vote Republican, since the Republicans nominally, I mean, they keep voting for the wall, but with Trump behind them, they might actually do more than talk about it and assign funding for it. They might actually build it. So if the Americans don't go out and vote for enough Republican to give Trump a mandate to build the wall, it means they don't care about their country enough to save it. They're not willing to do it. And when you've lived protected by a relatively civilized society and ethos and ethics for a while, you forget that the world is pretty Darwinian. I mean, the world is pretty Darwinian. I mean, if you look at Middle Eastern countries, they subjugate their women and they have lots of babies and they have lots of kids and they don't have a lot of feminism and they just grow and they grow and they grow. Same thing in Africa, right? Some places in Africa, you've got five to six kids per per mother. And you start to look at these European countries with 1.5, 1.7, 1.3. Look at Japan, 1.1. I think it is they've got more citizens in adult diapers than baby diapers. You don't, don't have children. Empower your women. Don't have children. Well, society's pretty Darwinian. And you'll just lose out. You'll just fade away. So if Americans care about the country enough to have a wall and to grit their teeth and say, yeah, this is a, this is a mess. The fact that you have 7,000 young men aiming to invade your country is a mess. And how did it come about? Decades of demographic change, decade of weaknesses and borders, decades of free welfare for illegal aliens, decades of sanctuary cities, decades of decades of decades of not just non-enforcement, but bribing people to break the law with hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer stolen goodies. Why are 7,000 people coming to the border? Because they have every reason to believe that they will get through. Because there's been appeasement, there's been compromise, there's been a lack of willingness to do the basics needed to maintain a country. And either that will change or it won't. And it really comes down to people putting their personal relationships on the line, caring enough about their country to put their personal relationships on the line. Now, of course, there's going to be cuts to foreign aid to governments aiding and abetting this invasion. And I understand, right? If, if the mayors in Mexico, the mayors in other, country, other countries are giving stuff to these migrants, then they are aiding and abetting the pursuit of people aiming to break the laws and invade into the United States. It is a form of warfare. You understand, right? It used to be that you had to have uniforms and weaponry to cross a border and take the resources of the country you're invading. Now you just come across, you cry, you play victim, and you take resources that way. You save a lot of money on weaponry when you come to think about it. It's an invasion through sentimentality. So, yeah, you cut foreign aid. And the cycle, you know, why do the Central and South American countries, sorry, why do the Central and North American, like Mexico and, and the Central American countries, why do they want other people to go? To America, well, it's pretty simple because when they go to America, they either get jobs or they go on welfare. A lot of them go on welfare. And then what happens is they live cheap, right? They live three to a room. And then what they do is they take their welfare payments, they take their paychecks, and they carve off a chunk of it and they send it as remittances back home to people in Guatemala, in Honduras, in El Salvador, in, um, well, not so much Chile, <laughs> but uh, they send remittances 
to Mexico and Central American countries. And that way, the Central American countries and Mexico get a lot of income coming in, but they don't have to provide any services. So money comes flowing in through these remittances, tens of millions of dollars a month or more. And they don't have to provide healthcare or education or roads or housing or anything. It's just free money come flowing in, gold tsunami coming in to Mexico and Central American countries. So, of course, they love it when people go to America because they directly profit as governments by having money flowing into the country without having to provide services. So you, could, you can stop that pretty, pretty easily. You can, of course, close the U.S. border until Mexico secures its borders. Mexico is letting people come across the border. That's not, that's not kid who, right? We, we, we all know that, right? We also know for a fact that if Mexicans voted for Republicans, the Democrats would already have built a taser-filled wall visible from space. So we understand it's just a method of gaming the system and, and getting votes through taxing the unborn and bribing people to vote for you. So you can close the U.S. border. Oh, that's going to be bad for trade. It's like... <laughs> the American Revolution was bad for trade too, wasn't it? Now, you could, of course, demand free market reforms in the host countries, right? So um, if you look at some... The comparison, I did a whole video on this, a comparison between Chile and Venezuela. Well, I mean, Chile, well, got some leftist socialist woman in charge now, but... If you look at Venezuela and you look at Chile, there are two countries miles apart, worlds apart, in terms of Chile has economic growth and productivity and stability, and Venezuela is a pigeon-hunting hellhole of nightmarish socialism. So you could say, no, you don't get your remittances, no, you don't get your foreign aid until you liberate your market, until you put in your free market reforms, until you privatize, until you stabilize your currencies, until you cut your spending, that could help. That could help. And you understand, these are not perfectly moral solutions because there is no perfectly moral solution in this kind of mess. These are just possibilities. And of course, it's important to start having a, a national, if not downright international conversation about the basic reality of government force. Government is force. Government is force. Government is force. Government is force, people. It points guns at people until they comply or die. That's what the government is. That's what it is. And you can dream of this big sugar daddy, Christian Grey, nice person who just wants to help you out and make sure that your kids are taken care of and you've got a roof over your head and health. It's nothing. It's nothing like that. Government is force. Government is force. And for people in the 21st century to be shocked and surprised that government laws require force, well, I guess it shows you how powerful government propaganda is in the form of government miseducation camps known as, quote, schools. We need to start talking about IQ, people. You just have to. The average IQ in Honduras is in the low 80s, which means they desperately need economic freedom. Desperately. See, smart people will do fairly well in just about any system, but it's the average and low intelligence people who desperately need a free market for a wide variety of reasons. So you don't have to get mad at the people in Honduras right now. They're just not that smart on average. They're brilliant Hondurans for sure. You can never judge an individual by group characteristics, but when you're looking at a whole country, yeah, you can look at group characteristics. You know, it's funny because people get mad and say, well, I'm an exception. It's like, of course you're an exception. There's tons of exceptions. It's a generality. All humans are carbon-based life forms, but half of humans below average height, <laughs> below average intelligence. I get it. I get it. But so what? So what? 
We make decisions all the time on averages. Do people get unjustly swept up in the average? Sure. Happens all the time. If you're under 25 in America and a male, you can't rent a car. Maybe you're a very responsible 17-year-old or 18-year-old driver in America. Too bad, you can't rent a car. If you're a smoker in America, you have to pay more for life insurance. Maybe you're a very healthy smoker. You don't smoke that much. You exercise a lot. and You're more healthy than some fat Cheetos-eating guy who doesn't exercise. Doesn't matter. We have to make big decisions. We have to use averages. <laughs> There's an exception. It's a low IQ point. There's no need to get mad at people. It's not that they're lazy. It's not that they're incompetent. It's just the way they are. Evolution is is playful. And according to research, I've had Dr. Jason Richwine on the show before. According to research, and he was studying, I think, mostly people from Mexico, low Hispanic IQ is effectively permanent. It's effectively permanent. Studied it for a couple of generations. Doesn't change. And maybe there's some magic X factor out there that can change it, but nobody knows what it is. So you can't really use that magic as a basis for large social decisions. So what do low IQ people as a whole do? Well, they do the same thing over and over again. They vote for socialism, they flee to capitalism, and then they vote for socialism. This is the rinse and repeat that happens almost all the time. Vote for socialism, flee to capitalism, vote for socialism again. That's just the way it works. So let's look at some of the big pictures about why this is happening, right? So it goes back a long way. Why do people think that the government is so benevolent? Because the government raises their children. The government raises their children. All the way from pre-K or or daycare, which is government-regulated, government-controlled, or sometimes directly government-based, through government education. And even if it's private school, they follow the general curriculum set by the government. So the moment you let the government raise your children, do you know what human beings do? Kind of like, you know, the ducklings with the big orange balloons. They bond with whoever raises them, and the government raises your children, for the most part, in the West. Government raises your children. Government gives your children their values. The government spends more time with your children, and basically they're trapped in government schools, which means that they're being indoctrinated by the teachers, and they're being raised by their peers, which is why peer influence is such a big deal for for kids. So the moment you let government take over your children's education, you're done. As a society, you can no longer tell the truth about government to your children. Can you say, the government is force, the government is violence? Well, of course you can. <laughs> right? Because your kids are going to say, wait a minute, if the government is an agency of force, why did you have me be educated and raised by the government? <laughs> by the government your babysitter is evil why did you right now if sort of big picture thing so education was privatized in other words i view that as a big sort of basket but i view that as education being outside the control of church and or the state so education was privatized in the west for a brief period 18th century 19th century and so on and this was an amazing time an amazing time of incredible progress and there were these incredible schools where you were taught by your peers and, and you could send your kids to school for less than $100 a year. They were called the Lancashire schools and other kinds of schools. I got whole presentations on this. Amazing, amazing stuff. Kids got incredibly well-educated. And you had Thomas Paine's Rights of Man as a very popular handbook. It's a pretty complex work. You've got Moby Dick by Herman Melville, very complex work, being readily read and absorbed by the general population. They're very well-educated. 
population in Massachusetts, the literacy rate was well north of 95% when there was not a single government school in sight. And high literacy, too. High literacy. And uh, then it all fell apart, of course. Mid-19th century, 1850s, 1860s, 1870s, governments took over education. Not because the parents wanted it, because the teachers, largely female, wanted job security. (laughs) Women choosing security over freedom. (laughs) Wow, good thing that only happened once in history. So you had the foundation of the free market of modern freedoms, 18th and 19th centuries. And when the government wasn't raising the damn children, you had, at least in Western Europe, a largely war-free century from the fall of Napoleon in 1815 to the start of the First World War in 1914. I know, Franco-Prussian War, but compared to before, compared to the 20th century, it was largely war-free. Now, within a generation or two of the government taking over the education system, what do you have? You've got the First World War. Why? Because children bond with whoever raises them. If the government raises your children, the government says, we need you for wartime, Uncle Sam wants you. They have a very tough time saying no. So when you get government control of education, it cripples any rational, moral conversation about the true nature of the state. You can't condemn as dangerous an institution that you hand your children over to raise. You can't. And the other reason why it's hard for people to look at the power of the state with any kind of objective way and why they flinch and turn away from the reality of the state, you can call it, I call it, it's the mafia bride syndrome. Right? I don't know if you ever watched The Sopranos, but it was Edie Falco played the woman, I can't remember her name, but she never wanted to know what her husband did for a living. He's in construction. <laughs> no, he's actually in deconstruction, as in deconstructing human beings. So women are dependent upon men to provide resources when women get pregnant, and therefore women prefer security over freedom. Men want freedom because men can then compete for the most resources and get the best woman. But women want security because their kids need to be fed. You can go with a man, you can go without a meal. If you're a woman, you can go without a meal, but you can't go without a meal if you have kids because your kids need to be fed. And if women choose the wrong guy, they choose a guy who turns out to be a drunk, a gambler, he runs off, he whatever, right? Or just gets injured and they have no insurance. You got to get the conveyor belt of money needs to keep coming in. So when women vote, studies have been done on this, it's very clear. When women vote, you get socialized medicine, you get the welfare state, you get this hyper-sentimental foreign aid, because there's this weird dichotomy. It's not a dichotomy if you look at it in terms of political power, but rationally, it's a hell of a dichotomy, because, you know, you show one bloated-bellied African kid with flies on his eyes, and women are like, oh, throw money, these poor children, they need to be helped, and are you saved? And then you start questioning the ethics of ripping a fetus's body apart in the womb and you get this dead-eyed defensive abortion from women it's weird i mean it's weird right out of sight out of mind he said my body my choice well it's paid for by men for the most part so how about men's wallet men's choice no (laughs) you don't have that right and so it's not just women but people who become dependent on the state who rely upon the state for their daily bread government workers uh, largely women teachers largely women and, of course, this, the welfare state is basically the single mother state. Although it's in the men, right, military-industrial complex, right? But the military-industrial complex doesn't have enough members to vote to change, right? They have a lot of influence in terms of donations and, and so on, but they don't have the votes, right? That's women, right? Women outvote men, right? They live longer, they, they, outvote, and they outvote men, right? So it's a female-driven society. It's a matriarchy. 
right? And so, and of course, women get far more out of the state than they pay in. There's a study in New Zealand, I think it was women get $150,000 on average more out of the government than they pay in taxes. Men make up the difference. It's a huge transfer of resources from males to females. That's the state, right? Women want free stuff. Like women, especially if you're an attractive man, like an attractive man offering women free stuff is the same as an attractive woman offering men free sex. It's very, very hard. I'm not blaming women. It's just evolution, right? It's very, very hard to say no to that. And women who say, well, I don't want the mean man to give me resources. Their children did badly. might have died. So they're just, those genes, just it's amoral, just need resources for my kids. And whether you have kids or not, that's still the same biology, right? Still the same drive. Not blaming. It's just the reality of how things are. So once you become dependent on the state, you can't look at the true nature of the state. You become a mafia bride. You become a mafia bride. The state is compulsion. But you profit from the state. And you don't want to think of yourself as having profited from compulsion. So you don't want to see the naked power of the state. And then you get open borders. And then your government collapses. And that's where we stand.